Welcome to the Perky Collar Radio Show, where we talk to entrepreneurs from across the globe to learn why they started their company, what mistakes they've made, what they learned from those mistakes, and they all share an incredible success story. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Perky Collar Radio Show. I'm your host, David M. Frankel. So I'm so excited to introduce to you Glenn Akromov. He's the CEO, founder, and lead consultant for Akromov. How are you this evening, Glenn? I'm doing fantastic. Excellent. Thank you so much for finding time to meet with us this evening. We're looking forward to hearing and learning more about your business. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So kick us off with the why. Why did you start, found, become the lead consultant for a crumb off? Okay. Um, well, it's uh, I, one of the things that I noticed when I was working in, in I, I worked in lo- local government for 25 years or so. And I noticed I had become pretty good at building teams. Uh, one of the things that I actually did is I worked for a lot of new cities. And so I did start up business within a city or a government environment, which is, was very interesting. So that was exciting to me. And then uh, I became a consultant, worked with another consultant team, doing team building and revitalizing workplaces. And um, the, the consultant team that I worked with, they were fabulous. They taught me the ropes and how to do things. But it was really clear it was time for me to move on to doing that. So um, to doing it on my own. So that's what I did. Um, and I, uh, to me, the real why was that I noticed that people in workplaces were, um, struggling to, to not only thrive, but to survive. And I had a couple of people I was good friends with who, uh, didn't make it through that process. And, um, and, you know, we lost them. And I, to me, I didn't want to see anyone else get lost. So that's where we started a Chrome off. And our, our commitment is to, to make uh, the world a better place by making the workplace a better place to be. So that's our why. That's great. And it's always hard to lose someone that's dealing with uh, workplace stress and yeah. a less than ideal culture and, you know, I think especially as a man, they identify a, a big part of their identity is their work. So when yes. that doesn't go well, they're not respected at work and they're struggling at home. It becomes a lot for a person to handle. And unless they have outlets at the company or have other uh, outlets outside of the work, uh, they try and internalize all that and it becomes very destructive, unfortunately. Yep. And, um, and so, yeah, absolutely. And, and certainly post-COVID, um, it's even worse. And, um, that's why we're so passionate. I'm so passionate about what we're doing and what, um, and being able to get into workplaces and help people. And we've, we've had a lot of success doing it and gotten to know a lot of wonderful people while, during the process. So does it become like a two prong approach, maybe even more than two prongs where you're dealing with mental health as well as a team based business and trying to get the business to grow and scale and to become more profitable and healthy as a company, as well as looking out for the mental health and the team building and the, the culture of the company. So I guess how many prongs are there that you're trying to manage and work with to, to improve? Yeah. For us, there are six. So six culture. 
Yeah. Culture. We call them the, uh, the pillars of a healthy workplace. And, uh, number one is culture, of course, and everything, you know, kind of comes from that as, as we found out maybe always, but we recently it's become high profile. The second one is structure. Um, you wouldn't think, right. The structure of your company or the structure of your business is that big a deal, but we found that it directly impacts how culture is, is, uh, implemented. Um, this, the third one is, uh, uh, your systems you use to do your work. The fourth one is the processes you use to go about getting the work done. The fifth one is external um, pressures. Um, uh, one of the things we find is that there are things you in your company that you have no control over. And those external forces, uh, um, a lot of times companies don't have a plan for how to handle those. And that's where stress levels go through the roof. And then the last one, of, of course, is analytics. How do you measure what what success is and what do you look at to, to uh, evaluate that? So those are the six things we look at when we go into a company. Very interesting. So I guess if a company were to hire you and have you look at their six pillars of a healthy workplace and then you identify those six things, what is your plan of action from there? Obviously, it depends on the degree where there's needed. But what do you find is the best plan of action? Is it seeing now with the whole team and addressing each pillar one at a time? Is it pulling people aside that may not be in line with everybody else? How do you, like, where do you begin, I guess, is my question. That's, that's a great question. So the first way we do it is, is we do an assessment. So we assess all six of them where you are today. And we do meet with every single person in the company. Um, we don't, we believe that everyone has something to offer and we also can see how some of the past management change processes have gone, both really successful ones and not so successful ones and where they kind of stopped. And then, um, that creates a, uh, a recommendation list. Right. So so some people are really good at their systems. They have great technology, but their processes aren't good. So they you know, you, you so you identify what what the challenges are and really the the company and the people tell us what they are. And then um, and then we go about implementing change, coming up with a change plan and then we help them implement it. And I, and I think that's should they want us to and most do where we come in because today, you know, low staffing levels, you don't have time to lead a change process or even fully participate in one unless someone's helping you. So that's kind of what we do. Uh, we also do the culture part is, um, is something that you'd say, well, don't you jump on that first? And the answer is not really. Um, we have to get in there, earn their trust and respect, get into the real root of the problems and then um, fix a couple of, of structural things. And then we go into fixing culture. I would say almost some are better than others in different pillars, but of the, uh, of the six, we always end up spending a lot of time in culture and structure. Makes sense. So I guess what triggers a company's CEO or founder to ask for help? Is it the numbers are down? Is it they feel like the team or the culture is just not jiving? They feel like maybe there's some 
bad apples in the group? Like what causes someone to call you and say, we need your help? Is there like a, a, a situation or a criteria they follow that they say, okay, now it's time to get help? It, it tends to be kind of three areas of focus. One is turnover. Um, if there's a mass exodus, especially today, you know, they start to panic because they can't replace people really easily. So turnover is one trigger for sure. Um, a lot of times we, we find that there's, uh, and I, this is kind of cliche a little bit in that, you know, they find a bad manager or a manager retires and they find out that they weren't as good as they thought they were. And so there's a lot of damage there. So they, they want to fix it and they don't either, they don't know how, or even if they have the skills, they don't have the time. Um, so they're looking for opportunities there. And then the, the third one is a, um, is a loss in the company. Um, could be money, um, could be a, a key employee retires or two or three retire or leave or pass away. Um, those are the three main ones that end up getting to where people are panicking. We're usually, when you call us, you've usually tried everything and you're at your wit's end. And I apologize. I think I missed number two. You said uh, number, number one originally was turnover. Number two, yep. I missed and Number three was a loss, either money or key employee. Can you remind and repeat number two for me, please? Yeah. So let me see what was number two. Number two was um, uh, a bad manager. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That helps. Cause I think it's always interesting to hear what causes people to say, we need help. We, we're in over our heads. We, it's not, things are getting better and we need help. And it's, I'm, I'm just always curious as to what those trigger points are because people that are listening to the interview may be dealing with one, two, or all three of these issues yes. and on the verge of hiring someone that just haven't done it yet. And all of a sudden they listen to this, like, yes, we need these guys to help us. We've tried everything. We don't have the skill set. We don't have the experience to turn the corner. I think we have good people in place. I think the company has, has opportunity and growth potential and has potential for success, but we're heading down a bad path and we need to, we need to turn it. Unlike the Titanic, we're not that big where it's, it's so slow to move it. We are still small enough we can move, but we need help now before it gets to be so big and so massive that we just can't turn. And it ends up crashing and uh, as in the Titanic story, uh, nobody wins. Right. And, and that's, that's my hope is yes, we, you know, this is our business and we love doing this, but for anyone out there who's hearing it and says, Hey, we need help. Find somebody to help you. Anyone at this point, right? Your people are suffering. So are you stress levels going through the roof, you know, you can succeed, but you're just not sure, you know, there, there are people out there, find them and get help. And who would you say, which industries do you find yourself working with the most? Like, are there certain industries that t tend to need more help in these, in these categories? Or is there an area that you just feel like you have more success with? Walk me through that a little bit. Sure. Well, my, my background, like I said at the beginning, is I spent 25 years in local government in various roles. So that's where our, the beginning of our customer base started. Um, and, and government today is, is, you know, for a lot of reasons, a lot of obvious reasons, struggles um, to do this and to recruit new people, right? The new energy, the new generations are not attracted to that. But I would say, based on our experience over our four years, almost four years in existence, we've been in a number of different places. 
And I would say about somewhere between 80 and 90% of, of workplaces are struggling um, with a lot of the, you know, issues like substance abuse and, and mental illness and, and scaling and, you know, going from being a founder to a, to a CEO, which is a challenge, <laughs> certainly for me. Sure. Um, but, but I would say, you know, I think that's where, where you're at is everyone needs it. And, uh, we spend most of our time in government or in small, what I would say, you know, under a hundred, uh, employee companies. That's where we've spent our time um, recently. Okay. Very good. This gives us an idea of the size and scale that you work with the most. Sure. So you mentioned scaling. I think that's always the million dollar challenge that every company goes through. As you've been trying to scale over the last four years, what mistakes do you feel like you've made? But more importantly, what do you feel like you learned from those mistakes? Sure. Well, I think the the number one mistake that I made at times is I tend to be a risk taker. And I think that, you know, being an entrepreneur, that's part of doing business um, and getting started. Um, There were a few risks that I took that were not, um, turned out to not be wise. And the reason that they weren't is because I wasn't, and we weren't as a team, and I've formed a team of, of four of us now, we weren't ready. We weren't fully prepared to implement the, the change that we took a risk on. And for, and the specific example I'm thinking of is I I've done tons of workshops as part of this process internally. When we do these, I do them all the time. We put together a, a, and we're pretty close, but we, we put together a workshop that was a leadership workshop to teach people to do their personal work and move forward. And we, we counted on a lot of people who told us, Hey, yeah, we're ready. We'll sign up. And so we got the venue, we got everything ready and we advertised, made a commitment to the venue and um, no one showed up, right? The people who said they weren't, didn't, didn't show up. And I don't blame them. We were, they were busy. They had lots of things to go. We took a risk based on what people told us rather than the fact. So am I going to, so what did I learn from that? Well, I, I learned that that make sure you're ready and make sure that you have commi- real commitment um, to do something like that before you fully commit. Um, and don't get so excited about your own product that you forget to do business well. And I think that's what we learned from it. And um, it was it was a little painful financially, but in the end, I think it was the money we we so-called lost um, taught us some real valuable stuff. I think a lot of inventors go through that same issue, getting so excited about their product that they don't necessarily use good business in the process. Like they don't think about the the pricing accurately. They don't think about the marketing. They don't think about the brand. They love their product, you know, and it's hard when you're so excited when you create something, you just want to screw for the rooftops. You think everybody should love it as much as you do. And the truth of the matter is no one loves it as much as you do. But that's, that's, a, that's a hard pill to swallow when you realize that people don't love it as much as you do. And there's naysayers and people are negative towards the product and your idea. And it's, hard, it's yeah. mentally very challenging to bring a product to market because of that excitement level is so high and no one can meet you at that level of excitement. 
and again, a lot of the uh, aspects of business to make the product hit the market and make the product be a success, you have to have that foundation or find a team that can help you do those things. If you don't have the right yeah. team, you don't have the right business skill set, the product's not going to go anywhere. And that's hard. That's a hard pill for a lot of inventors to swallow. It is. I, I would say that your your point there of um, our part of our business model is finding um, it's part of what I teach, too, is find if you can't do it well or you don't want to do it, either one, um, find someone else to do that work. And we we have some fantastic partners we work with by using that model. And um, and I think that's that's another lesson we learned in that example was we went outside of our our circle to sign up a venue. And we had a great event planner. She's fabulous. And she had already thrown a, an event, you know, a couple of months before that was absolutely perfect. Um, but we, we all kind of went a little outside of our norm there rather than getting someone who was entrepreneurial and, and, and kind of plugging them in. Cause that's our model too, is I use a lot of startups to, to do business with because, um, I, I try to get as excited about their product as they get a, to help them become excited about mine and it's worked for us, but we went outside of that in that, in that, um, one instance and it, it dinged us a little bit. Yeah. Well, you're, you're living to learn. I think the first couple of years yeah. of any business, you try and take on every client because you need business, you need revenue, you want to pay your staff. And, you know, and then I think the hardest part you run into at that point is how do you balance workflow and staffing? And making sure the right balance of both. That's I think that's the main dollar nugget, or that's the secret sauce. Almost every business owner will talk about is, you know, how much is too much work, how much is enough work, and then once you get to certain clients, you focus on maintaining them, and you stop hunting, and then sometimes the revenue drops off, and you have to balance that hunting and maintaining clients, and it's it's a juggle, and it's not easy, and it's hard to find that perfect balance, and making sure the right people work on the right accounts, and getting the, the best results possible, and and so on and so forth. But it's all part of the growth process as you grow and take on more clients. And like you said, you get outside your comfort, uh, comfort zone a little bit in certain types of industries. Sometimes you take one on the chin yeah. and then you realize, Hey, that's not an industry for us. Or we need to bring someone into the team that can help us with that industry in the future. That's more skilled and more knowledgeable of that industry. Yeah. I, I think that's absolutely right. And, and I think the, the challenge has been, you know, because because you're naturally a risk taker, which I am, you you are willing to take those on the chin, knowing that that they might, you know, it might hurt a little bit. Um, and I think that's the key: is learn your lesson, make sure that you you learn it, study it. I mean, we we have when we did that, we talked about it a lot. We thought about it. You know, I certainly had angst about it. We then changed some roles within the team to make sure that we were all in the right spot doing the things. Cause what we realized is I had someone being a GM for me and he doesn't really want like the GM work. <laughs> he, he, and I like that stuff. Right. So we gave that back to me and gave him, put him where he, he is most um, thrilled, which is sales and marketing and some things like that. So it helped us clarify roles as well. Makes sense. And I think every um, company goes through those growing pains. If someone's with you for a long time, you want to promote them. Well, sometimes yeah. the promotion isn't what they enjoy. So they're better right. off going back to the 
the trenches and doing what they love to do. Like a lot of teachers, you know, feel like they want to get promoted, but at some point they don't want to be principals. So they'd rather just be teaching. And they, yeah. they become a principal for a couple of years, don't like all the responsibility and they go back to the classroom. So I think you just got to find the right fit and whether it's more money or more responsibility, it's not always the, the, you know, the increase in opportunity that makes you happier. Sometimes is do what you're doing and do it best is, is the best way to go. And obviously you only know that when you look at uh, the whole team and who fits best and who can help where. And, but I'm sure people also discover things about themselves that they didn't know they could do. Sometimes you do do that crossover or you do get someone to fill in a position temporarily. And it turns out that's even, they're even better at that than they were their previous role. So you do find some yeah. of those nuggets as well that it surprises you, it surprises them, and everybody wins in that situation. So I think it goes both ways. You get some people that don't like the new role and some people do like the new role but are kind of surprised that they like it. And, you know, they ultimately they thrive in the new role. So it's, it's nice, nice surprise for everybody when that type of thing happens. Yeah, we, we, we find that a lot in our work. And I would say that our, our, the, the number that I use, the magic number that I use is if you're spending 70% of your time doing what you love, then you're, you got a pretty good uh, career going. And, uh, and so that's what we try to achieve within our company. And we try to get, when we, when we work with a company, we try to get everybody in that realm. If you can. That's a good number to think about. Yeah, It's a good thing to self-reflect on too. Just, you know, we all have our bad days. We all have our bad moments. We all have our roles in our, our companies that we don't enjoy, but what percent is it really? When you're in the yeah. middle of tax season, it may feel like a hundred percent of what you do, <laughs> right. but it's only just those two weeks, you know, then once you get past those two weeks, you're back down to five or 10%. Life is good. But man, yeah. during tax time, it just feels so overwhelming. If it's someone like myself, I'm just, I don't, I like to look at the analytics of the numbers, but I don't like creating the numbers. Uh, right. it's, that's not my strength. That's not what I enjoy, but some people do, you know, and you just got to get those people in that role to crunch the numbers and come up with the numbers. And I'll just look at the reports when it's all done. <laughs> so yep. everyone yeah, has their I, strengths and weaknesses and their strengths and their, their joy and their happiness and what, they're, what they uh, are good at. Absolutely. So Glenn, walk me through a success story. We've talked about some of the challenges and the mistakes and what you learned from those mistakes, which I think is fantastic. But I'm sure there's also in the four years, some great success stories, some great friendships you developed over the years, they're not just clients, but they're now good friends of yours because the success uh, has taken to, gone to a whole nother level. Share with me a success story because I think it really inspires your why from four years ago. Why you started this company to begin with? When you have success right. stories, I think it's fuel for your fire. Oh, yeah. And, and I think we've, you know, when you look at what the clients we've worked with, I think most of them are are somewhat success stories in some form or fashion. And we always look for that. I mean, that's part of our debrief process as we move on. But I, I would say there, there was a, a, we're coming up on one year anniversary of when I, um, because part of our business is, yes, we go in as consultants, but I also, um, we also embed me as a, at times as a leader in the, in the company or in the organization. And so, um, and I've done a number of those where I'm interim something and, and I, I lead the change process a lot of times when there's a bad manager, as we mentioned before, in this case, it was a, 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 a manager who didn't fit. Um, and actually it was two of them that I ended up kind of combining a job and, and then help replace myself as an interim. And I was there about 10 months. Um, and it's, like I said, I left, I left last September. And when I went into the place, 
this place was known and it was a local government and they were known as a, a pretty good local government. And generally they were, um, but their maintenance, uh, some of my background is in maintenance and operations. So their maintenance and operations group, which was pretty large, 75 staff, were really struggling in a number of roles, including some of the leadership and just a lot of stuff going on. And, um, and when I got in there, there were a number of people who were struggling, getting ready to leave. There was mental illness. The substance abuse was about 25% in this group. Um, and it was, for me, it was fairly obvious. So we went to work. I became an interim, um, the interim leader, and we went to work on a number of things. And um, the group really engaged. And for me, the, the success story is always about the people. So we worked on the culture and we worked on all of the six pillars, all six of them we worked on during the 10 months I was there. But one of the, um, for me, the success was I just got a phone call from one of the employees who was struggling and getting ready to leave. Probably two weeks ago, I got a phone call from him and he says, you know, we're, we talk about you and the work you did often, which always makes you feel good as a, as a leader and an entrepreneur that you made an, had an impact. But he said there, there's, um, you know, everybody's a lot happier. He told me of a couple of stories. And of course I won't get into specifics about people going to rehab. They had five people go to rehab. Um, so, you know, at 25, 25%, you had like 17 people were in substance abuse. So a third of them went, went into rehab. Um, and have come out and are being successful. And then he said, he, and then he asked me to be a reference for him. And this was a guy who was getting ready to leave, right? He was disgruntled, didn't want to be there anymore to be a reference for him to become a supervisor within that organization. And of course I mentored him and we worked together and everything. But, but to me, that, that is the core of what we do. You have someone who doesn't want to be there and is miserable, um, and you got a bunch of people who are who are self-medicating um, to just come to work every day and just survive. And now they're not. Um, for us, it, it just sold home the why, like you said. I, I was so, um, it was so rewarding, especially when he gave me the names of people who went into rehab. A couple of them I didn't think were going to make it. You know, I think they were they were on the brink of mental illness and suicide. And so it's hard to, to, to not be excited about the fact that you positively impacted somebody's life that way, even though they made the decisions. Sure. Well, obviously, we started the interview, you talked about losing friends yeah. because of their work environment. And I'm sure when you put yourself in a situation where you get to these people, they become your friends, and now you realize they're on the verge of doing things like your friends did. It's, yeah. it's just so nice to know that you, you weren't able to help your friends, but you can help someone else from doing the same things your friends did. Yes. And that's got to feel great and very rewarding to know, you know, you obviously can't control what they do themselves, but you can also help understand why they're doing what they're doing, why they're self-medicating. And is there a solution uh, or a change of culture or change of any of the six pillars? Is there a change that we can make that'll make you a happier person? 
And yeah. if you can, and it can be done, and the company makes more money, and everybody's happier, just make the change. It seems so simple and so obvious when you put it on black and white, but sometimes everyone's so busy doing their own role, they don't look at the overall six pillars of, of a healthy work environment, and therefore, people walk away miserable and looking for other therapies that they have to have as a result of the work environment. Right. So it's nice if you can right. bring it to their attention. And I'm sure some people get defensive sometimes too, like, oh, uh, that's their problem. This is how we do things here. But they're not ready for help. You know, so I guess I'm sure part of your job too is to figure out which companies that hire you are will take your feedback to apply the great information you've, you've given them. Yeah, absolutely. That is something to me, we've got to, we've got to verify that um, because, you know, there's not a lot of us right now in our company and we want to make sure we're where, where change is prepared to happen so that we can have that impact. And so, yeah, part of our process between assessment and implementation is, is understanding what their tolerance for change is. And, and if it's not above a certain point, then we're, we're not as likely to help um, or jump in at that time. We'll always be available. And we've had that happen where we did an assessment, said, you're not ready for change. Call us when, when you are. And eight months later, they called us and we went in and, and were able to do the work. So That's great. So that's that's got to be very frustrating when people aren't ready for help. And the very much. employees are so ready for help, but the person in charge to write the check for the consulting isn't ready for help. And, yeah. and it's just, it's, all you can do is walk away and you know, hope they call you sooner than later before it's too yeah. late before they lose even more of their staff. That's, that's, that's exactly it. And it, and I think for us, and, and, you know, I mean, from this, this whole interview that it's very personal for me. And so we do, that's what I tell them is we're going to get in the muck with you and we're going to care about you and your company. And that is painful for us because when we leave, it's a sense of loss for us, but, I believe that's the only way you can get people to really understand you're sincere. And so that's what we do. And like I said, every time I leave it, it, it hits me because I, I'm not going to, I do have friends every place I go. I have at least one person who I stay in contact with usually multiples, but I don't see them every day anymore. Like I just spent 10 months doing right. So it's, it's always painful. It's almost like a real life, uh, Mark Lamonis, the prophet, where he goes in, analyzes the business, makes some changes, puts himself in charge for a period of time, a lot of times fixes equipment, makes things more you know, functional, deals with a lot of family drama sometimes and family-owned businesses, and then eventually says, hey, you know what? You're on your own now. Good luck. Yeah. And I'm sure it's a, it's a very similar – I don't know if you ever watched that show. I, I don't think it's as popular now as it used to be. I think it's on CNBC now. But I always found the show very interesting just to watch him crunch the numbers, watch him look at the – ways to improve the company and then send them on their own and then open new locations and help them grow and scale. And sometimes it's change in the facility or the retail space to make it more customer friendly and make it more attractive and cleaner and so on and so forth. And, uh, but sometimes you have to, you have to come up from the outside to help them identify the problems because they're so in it on a daily basis. They don't see the problems that are right in front of their very nose. And it's nice that you can come in as a, a third party person and say, Hey, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm feeling. These are the things you need to change. And like you said, with the six pillars of a healthy workplace, you can break it down for them. I don't know if you do grades or numbers or how you break it down, or it's just here's a paragraph summary of what you need to be changed. But it's nice to have that information in front of you. And like you said, when you're ready, we'll start taking action to fix these things. 
Until then, mm-hmm. these things will probably just get worse. So yeah. call me when you're ready. That's that's it. And some of them don't have that long, right? I think that's the thing that we found is, you know, there's there's some where you can say, you can call me in a year, it'll get worse. And there are others for companies that are like, you won't be around in a year. Right. You're, you're I mean, you know, so much of a business is based on how strong your staff is and how committed they are. And, um, and if you ignore that and a bunch of them walk out the door, you know, if you go 50% loss in staff, you can't just turn around and replace them today. Right. And and then you got to train them and all that. So you can lose, if you've got contracts in place where you serve people, you're going to be in trouble trying to meet those contractual obligations. And that puts you in a, in a really bad spot company wise. hundred percent. Well, Glenn, it's been very interesting to learn what you do, how you help. And it's loved it. I've loved it. Your hearts. I love the fact that you just reach your heart out to help people. It's not just what you do for a living, but it's what you do because you enjoy it. Uh, and I, I, I'm sure a lot of my listeners are uh, touched by your story and touched by how you help companies and, if someone that owns a company is listening to this interview and feels there's room for improvement or can, you know, some of the things we talked about resonate with them that they'd like to look into ways they can improve their company through your services. Uh, please share with our audience, your website, your social media handles. If you want to give out an email or phone number, that's up to you, but how someone can get a hold of you and uh, get a consultation and determine if uh, your business would, would help their business. Okay. Um, I think first of all, if, if you want to see more about the the pillars and all that stuff, our our website is acromoff.com. and um, lots of good stuff there on on this sort of thing. And maybe some of it will resonate. Um, you can get a hold of us at uh, info at acromoff.com. Um, if you've got something going, get us there. We watch that every day and we'll be grab we'll, we'll respond and come back to you. And, and if you've got, if you're in crisis, uh, company wise, or if you just have, want some more information, find out where we are. We're on LinkedIn. I, I don't know all the, all my handles. I don't have them memorized and I don't have it in front of me, but we're on LinkedIn. Um, we, we are a little bit on Facebook, but we're also on Twitter and, um, or I guess it's X now. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, again, I think the, the website or info will get right back to you within, within a short period of time. And, um, I also have a, uh, um, a book out about the pillars and how to build a winning team in the workplace. Um, that's called the human centered team. And you can find that at, the human centered book.com. Very cool. Have you gone into um, the scale mode of doing like surveys on the website, you know, as like a quick take this 10 question survey, determine if, you know, if, if you can use our services or help us, have you gone to the point where you're making modules or online support systems? So you can kind of multiply yourself and duplicate yourself outside your service area. Uh, nope, nope. Yeah, we're working on it. You can you can actually go in in there. They're on our website. We actually have three or four of them done. You can do a, a quick cultural assessment um, on there as well as a, a structure assessment, and see see if you're struggling and gives you a point score and all that and tells you what that point score means. So yeah, we're working on it. Very we're cool. building it slowly. But to me, culture is usually where people want to start. So we did the culture first. 
Makes sense. Well, Glenn, thank you so much for being on the show. I, I learned a lot from you. I, I find what you're doing very interesting and very heartfelt, and that's wonderful to see. And I just want to thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I definitely appreciate it and enjoyed the conversation. Yes, sir. And then just to make sure the listeners that may not know how to spell Akramoff, it's A-K-R-A-M-O-F-F.com. And you've listened to another episode of the Perky Keller Radio Show. Thank you for listening. What is the Perky Collar? It is a collar support system for dress shirts. That's right. Over 18,000 of these amazing devices have been sold globally. How does it work? Lift the collar, add the Perky Collar with the long tapered ends on top, lower your collar on top. Adjust to make sure it's even around the collar, and that's it. You've now transformed your droopy, saggy dress shirt collar to a brand new looking dress shirt ready to tackle Sweaters, jackets, blazers, and the collar still stays nice and tall. How do you find it? The website is perkyllc.com. That's spelled P as in Paul, E as in Elephant, R as in Robert, K as in Kangaroo, Y as in Yo-Yo, LLC, LarryLarryCharlie.com. That's perkyllc.com. Get yours today, or if you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, visiting or live here, feel free to come by South Park Mall's kiosk located between Francesca's and Toomey. Best entrance is Maggiano's and Cheesecake Factory. See you soon. Look your best. Have a great day. Perky LLC is a clothing innovation company. We solve clothing-related problems such as a droopy, saggy dress shirt collar, the pocket square that doesn't seem to sit still properly, it unfolds, it falls down, the shirt that keeps coming untucked, collar stays that keep curling on you, and more and more issues with your belt, cracking, splitting, holeless belts are the solution. You can adjust them by a quarter inch instead of having to go up an inch or down an inch. What about that lapel you want to use as an accent color to match a dress or as a color accent to your wardrobe? This and many other fun fashion accessories are available at perkyllc.com. Beyond innovation, we also have fashion accessories. Bow ties, you name it, from feather to blingy to wooden, even wooden ones that move, even wooden ones that showcase the skyline of cities all across the country. Check out perkyllc.com for all these great fashion accessories and innovative solutions. Are you ready to publish your own book? Do you have a story to tell? Does the world need to hear your story? Now is your chance. Go to https colon forward slash go go dot bestsellingbook.com forward slash perky collar radio show. That's right. It's as simple as that. They'll walk you through every step needed to publish your own book. And watch out. Be ready to be an Amazon bestseller, maybe a Wall Street Journal bestseller, or maybe even New York Times bestseller. It all starts with a single step and having the right team around you. Again, go to https colon forward slash go go dot bestsellingbook.com forward slash perky collar radio show. Look forward to seeing your amazing results.